You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Well, Happy New Year. It's good to be with you guys. I always enjoy um, just being with you guys. And I know we all say that, but I think for a lot of us, it's, um, it's one of our favorite times to really just press into the Word for 30, 45 minutes and... Um, Especially, bef- you know, early in the morning, kind of in the stillness for us to gather together. So um, that's kind of introducing what I want us to talk about for the next uh, several weeks or for the month of January. And uh, your notes, the, the title of what we're going to walk through, I, I just call it the mystery of prayer. And, and let me tell you the reason I did. I think the more that we, and we grasp a lot about what prayer is, but if, at least if I'm being honest, there's still so much about prayer that seems a little mysterious or conf- it, it can be confusing at times. Um, when you think about this reality of prayer, even outside of Christianity, uh, every faith, every religious group has some type of prayer, some form of, of trying to communicate to whoever or whatever they think is uh, a deity or divine. And um, I was reading a Gallup poll a while back, and it's interesting. A Gallup, you know, just does polls of all kind of things. It says that in Americans, more Americans will pray in the course of a week than will do these things. It's funny. I don't know how they always compare these certain things, but more Americans say they pray than exercise, which is probably not a big stretch. Drive a car, have sex, which I don't know how that survey came out. Do you pray more or have sex? So anyway, they, they said pray. <laughs> and they be praying to have sex, but... Anyway, that was probably inappropriate too. But. And then listen to this one. More say they pray in the course of the week than go to work. It's a significant amount of, of, of people that pray, that say prayer is important. But here's the, the odd thing. Nine out of ten say they pray regularly. Three out of four say they, they pray every day. But when it got down to more practical matters... Um, here's some interesting things that happen. And this is not by Gallup. This is by a guy named Philip Yancey who, I may reference a book that I've been reading, um, but I'm not quite sure yet. Because I don't want to recommend a book that if you sort through it and you go, well, what about this? Because there's probably some challenging things in this book I've been reading, but it's a pretty significant book about prayer. If you've ever heard of Philip Yancey, he's, he's a... He's a <sighs> He's a really good writer that challenges some of the difficult topics in Christianity. Um, in one of the books I've been reading about prayer, he'd interviewed people about this practical side of prayer, and he asked them these questions, and these were the predominant answers to these questions. Is prayer important to you? And predominantly, people said, yes, absolutely, it's important. Well, how often do you pray? Well, almost every day. About how long do you pray? I don't know, five, six, seven minutes uh, when I do pray. But this was what I found intriguing. Do you find prayer satisfying and meaningful? And the majority of people said occasionally, but not very often. In other words, I do it, but I, either I don't really know exactly what I'm doing, I, do, I don't find much meaning in it, but I do it because I know it's important, even though I don't understand what's going on necessarily. And they would say this, not in a bad way, but the majority of, it, of them experience prayer as a burden rather than a pleasure. And so what he began to talk about is there seems to be this gap that exists between prayer in theory 
and prayer and practice. In other words, in theory, we all would say we know that prayer is this essential, priceless point of contact with the God of the universe. But in practice, it often seems confusing. I'm not really sure what's going on and how I should pray, what I should pray about, what actually does God do in prayer? What can I expect in prayer? Um, And so, just to be very candid with you in my own life, in the last several years, especially since I've walked through a lot of just difficult times in my life, it, it began to make me question what I have always believed about prayer. Um, because this is what I hope we'll talk about in multiple ways in the next three or four weeks. You've got to realize in your practice of Christianity, it's very essential to, that what you believe about the heart and character of God will dictate how you relate to God. Um, and so especially in this arena of prayer, I began to really challenge my own life and say, why do I pray how I pray? What is my theology of prayer? What is my theology or understanding of how God interacts with me in response to me in prayer? Um, because we gotta be careful, and we'll challenge some of those in the next two or three weeks. We gotta be careful when we're thinking, um, does God really not know what I'm about to tell him, right? Well, we act like he doesn't, right? It's very desperate and urgent that we get this prayer request sent out. As if, if no one prays about it, God won't know about it. Or if we don't ask, God will not respond to us with good intentions. Um, or if the more people pray for something, like if we have a great group of lobbying prayer warriors that somehow it catches the ear of God, so we start a prayer chain because we think if only one person prayed for it, it's not enough. So I, I want to challenge some of those things that, were, that are a part of my own life and go, why do, okay, what, what does that say about the heart of God? What does that say about how he's chosen to interact with us? Um, and so I called it the mystery of prayer because I don't want to just, we're not going to go through this and go, I'm going to teach you how to pray necessarily. I want us to dig into the foundations of what prayer means in the teaching of Scripture. There'll be, the first few weeks, we'll kind of walk through um, what I think, you know, there's a lot of passages on prayer in Scripture, but I think there's probably not, there's not many that are as comprehensive as Jesus' teaching in the Gospels about prayer. And we're going we're gonna to walk through that this week and next week and look at some specific passages about Jesus talking about prayer. And then we're going to kind of move into, um, for the last couple of weeks, what I'm I probably just call prayer dilemmas. Like, what do you do with this? How do you figure this out? How do you reconcile this about prayer? Um, and I just want to warn you and encourage you. Um, some of these things I'll, I'll encourage you and probably give you some resolve on, but some of these I don't really have resolve on myself. But I think you need to be challenged, and I need to be challenged. So I'll, go, I'll leave you going, I don't know what the answer to that. Figure it out. Uh, and so I don't want you to walk away going, I, I remember having these conversations a while back with my wife and she's, she loves me and she's been with me forever. And, um, but sometimes I'll start talking to things about, to her and, and it'll unnerve her a little bit. I'll just be trying to have a conversation like I'll ask her, you know, when we're talking about prayer a while back and I said something like, do you really think prayer matters? Well, in, which immediately she thought, you don't, 
believe in prayer anymore? I was like, no, no, I do, I do. I like a, let me go ahead and give you my formal <laughs> confessional statement of Christianity, and I haven't walked away from that. But sometimes you ever think that, does God really, I mean, does it really matter? If God is sovereign, isn't he going to do what he's going to do, right? Do you ever think it really matters that it's some kind of game we play that makes us feel better? That, because if we say and believe God is running the show and he is sovereign, then what does prayer do to change what God is going to do? It shouldn't change anything, should it? Yet you see in scripture God petitioning us to say, come to me and pray. Or what about the reality that God is unchanging? He's immutable. He never changes. Yet you see multiple places in scripture where with the petition of his children, he changed his mind. So then I ask the question, well, does my prayer move God to change his mind? In other words, did he change his intention because I prayed? Uh, so I'll start asking those questions to my wife and she shuts down. She's like, I don't want to talk to you about this because I'm not personally struggling with this and I'm getting a little jacked up. So I don't want you to feel jacked up. But I do want to stretch your thinking. I want you to go, well, okay, what does the word of God say about the character of God? And here is why I feel like I need to justify why. I'm not just going here and going, hey, let's just kind of jack with prayer for the next four weeks. Because here is my concern. We, again, what we believe about the heart of God is so essential to how we relate to God. And I think that if we believe, if we have a misconception about prayer, about how God has said, I want to interact with you in relationship. What we can do is actually set ourselves up for spiritual disillusionment. In other words, if I, if I believe or I think or I live under the perception that God should respond this way, when he doesn't, I only have a couple of options, right? Well, God didn't come through or it's my fault, um, and I, I, I've rarely met someone who's come to the point of stopping, to stop believing in God that has not at some point had a crossroads of faith in their life where they thought God was this and he didn't come through and they just gave up. Uh, and I say that because, you know, wrestling through a lot of stuff in our family, in our life in the last 10 years, I really did come to that point. Not of not believing in God, but of kind of going, well, God, I've always thought this is what you would do. This is what your promise was. It, and it left me being disillusioned when it didn't happen. When I thought, well, either God, you, you're not doing what you say or I'm not, mis- I'm not understanding this. So I want to do it for that reason. I want you to walk away feeling more confident in who God is, but probably challenging some misconceptions about what prayer is intended to be. So that's why we're going to dive into this, this series called The Mystery of Prayer. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to, we're going to do dual passages, Luke chapter 11. So put your finger in Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, and then in Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And we're probably going to flip back and forth and read both of these texts. And all they really are in the Gospels are in the, Matthew's account and Luke's account of the same conversation Jesus has with the disciples. And, and the reason we'll flip back and forth is because there's some nuances and differences in how they perceive uh, or, or say what's going on. Some are exactly the same, but some are not. But what we'll do each time is 
look at this point, read it in Luke, look at this point, read it in Matthew, and I want you in the course of this week and next week, maybe just to read these whole sections in Matthew and Luke um, about prayer. We call these the Lord's Prayer, which is not really the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. It's Jesus showing the disciples how to pray. But what I find to be encouraging is, when you look at what's going on, uh, in this context, the disciples have been walking with Jesus and it's in kind of the background that, that you're assuming, we're assuming in the story is, they must have known something about the religious practice of prayer in their upbringing. But there was something in walking with Jesus that made them begin to wonder, now we know about the practice of prayer, but what he's doing, I don't know about that. He seems to be talking to the Father and relating to the Father and, and, and this interaction of relationship with the Father that we, I don't know what that is. And so at some point, they come to him and they ask this question in Luke chapter 11 and it's also in Matthew 6, but we'll just read the first part in Luke chapter 11. Verse one, it says, it happened that while Jesus, let me stop and ask this. Do the majority of you guys have the New American Standard or the ESV? ESV? ESV, hold your hand up. Okay, New American Standard. Okay, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Also, I wonder sometimes, because some of us teach from the NASV, and if you went and bought that, and you're like, well, crud, now who, what's the ESV? Now we're teaching from the ESV, which I'm revolting. I'm kind of like holding out. I'm the only one probably left that doesn't teach out of ESV. But I, I, wanted, I don't want you to be going. It sounds a little different what you're reading from, but I'm going to read from the NASV this morning. It may sound a little bit different than the ESV, but I just thought I'd ask, because sometimes you get confused about trying to follow along. Back in verse one. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And so they come to Jesus and say, we want to learn to do what you're doing, to relate to God like you're relating, because what you're doing is something we've never discovered or ever heard of. This personal relationship and conversation with God. And so they come to Jesus and say, teach us how to do this. And I want us to, as we get started, to actually pray that prayer. I mean, to actually ask God, Lord, for the next three or four weeks, would you teach us to pray? Challenge us. Teach us how to relate to the heart of the Father. And so I just want to pray as we begin that prayer over you, and then we'll pick back up and kind of walk through the things Jesus is teaching. God, I pray this morning and for the next several weeks as, as we all walk through uh, the journey of the scriptures together, that God, you would do what the disciples ask you, that you would teach us. Teach us what it means to pray. Teach us what you intended, God, when you invited us into this relationship in this practice called prayer, this, um, this conversation with you. And so God, we just, I want you in these weeks to challenge some of the things that are so, um, they're not true about your heart toward us or not true about what you intended for us to have in relationship with you, to reinforce the things that are so true about your heart and, and God to teach us uh, what it means to pray. That's what our prayer is. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And, and what I want to do this morning is uh, kind of answer the question. In your notes, I think it says, what is prayer? Jesus begins to, in teaching them about prayer, he, he, he just begins to kind of bring up concepts. And that's what I put in your notes. Uh, and I kind of worded it this way. When you think about prayer, what is prayer? It's a conversation with God that centers around dot, dot, dot. And I just want to bring out some of the concepts Jesus talks about and then give you a maybe one word sentence or one sentence application about that concept concerning prayer. So that's kind of what your notes are going to be this morning. And so when you talk about what is prayer, let's begin in verse 2 or 1 and 2 in Matthew 11, then we'll flip back over to uh, Matthew 6 9. Jesus begins to teach them and he says in verse 2, after they ask him, teach us to pray, he said to them, when you pray, Say this, and he begins, Father, hallowed be your name. Back in Matthew 6, he almost says the identical thing um, in verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so two guys talking about a little bit of a different perspective of how they heard what Jesus said. But he begins with this concept, I think, that prayer is about first and foremost relationship. It's about relationship. And he uses, I mean, it's the primary point of relational connection with God. When we talk about relating to God, having a relationship with God, the primary practice of relating to God is engaging God in conversation, talking with God. I mean, that's at the, at the foundation, that's a relational principle, right? If I say I have a relationship with you, but I've never engaged in a conversation with you, it'd be very difficult for us to know each other. Or, right? I mean, it's, it's not that profound. And so he begins by talking about the reality of how prayer is about relationship. But what he does is he, there's a couple of words that Jesus uses that I think are essential in us understanding the nature of the relationship that God in, invites us into. And the first one he uses is Father. Father. If you look in passages like Mark, uh, Mark chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just kind of reference them. He uses this word um, in Luke and in, in, in Matthew that it's the same context in, in Greek as in Mark 14, he uses Aramaic, Abba, Father, you've heard someone say that, and it's really a reference, it's a very personal term, Father, Daddy, Dad. And so it's the same concept, although in Mark 14, it's written or spoken in Aramaic. And so it's the word Abba, but it's the same word, pater, in Greek. And it talks about this very personal, fathering relationship that we can have with God. And so Jesus begins to say, when you pray, understand this is the relationship God invites you into, one in which he wants to relate to you as father. It talks about a relationship of protection and care and guidance and, and love. He wants us to draw near to him, to draw close to him as a son would to his father. And so Jesus, I, I think it's very important that Jesus says that's how he invites you to relate to him. And I don't know about you, but when you think of the term father, it may have a different picture for so many of us. For you, it may be a picture of someone who's very harsh and demanding and impatient. You could never really please. Uh, no matter how hard you tried, 
you think about a relationship in which you desperately long for love and acceptance, but it never came. So when you think about God and someone says, well, you need to relate to him as father, that's not a very positive experience for you. And so I understand that's true. For you, it might be that when you hear the term father, it represents someone who was very absent from your life, unavailable, not around, untrustworthy, not reliable. In other words, when you think of that, it just reminds you that you were left to do it all on your own. You just had to figure it out. And so it's not, it's not that easy when you think, well, he says to relate to God as father, but I just don't have a good perspective of that. And so when Jesus says that we first and foremost say, Father, address him as our father, He's talking about a God who is fully available, who was there for your love and care and protection. He's talking about, I guess, the healthy perspective of what it means to be fathered. And so I would encourage you, especially as men, Joe leads a class uh, throughout the year called Father by God. And if you've never walked through that class, I would encourage you to walk through the class, don't just read the book. But it's, it's really an incredibly restoring um, study about how we can allow God to come in and, and, and restore our hearts from what our fathers failed to do. It's not a, I'm gonna blame my dad for everything, but it's, it's realizing that God wants to come alongside and father your heart as a man. Because the reality is, at least for men, we have a hard time drawing close to God because we may have a conception of God that's based on how we related to our father. He's distant, he's unavailable, he's harsh. And so it's hard for us to believe that God thinks of us any different than our father treated us. And so that's just a side note. But Jesus begins here saying, remember as you begin to pray, it's about relationship and it's about a God who pursues you and invites you into that level of closeness as a child would come to his father. But the second word Jesus mentions in this first part of this first verse we looked at is, is this word hallowed, hallowed, however you want to say it, hallowed be your name. So he says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so what he does in this second word is he qualifies the invitation of a relationship with God. He is father, but he's also hallowed. Um, So Jesus says, we come near to a father who loves and cares and guides us personally, yet we must never lose sight of this reality. He is holy and separate. He's holy and separate. And so Jesus kind of introduces what is a paradox throughout scripture, and and you can use different terms, but it's the holiness of God versus the love of God. Uh, In theological terms, you can say the transcendence of God, which means he is holy other, he's separate. And then the eminence of God means he comes near. So transcendence versus eminence. Like he's completely separate, but yet somehow he's as close as a father. And so Jesus, again, he's, he's reflecting that reality. And so sometimes it seems like a paradox to say, well, Either God is holy or he's, you know, and I I can't approach him or he's loving and I can draw near. And so there's a lot of paradoxes like that in scripture. For instance, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Well, how do you, he's he's 100% both. And so kind of forget having, trying to try to logically think through that. But but Jesus is saying both of these 
our reality and how I must relate to God. Um, I get frustrated sometimes in the theological realm or in ministry realm about people who tend to either do one or the other of these things. Uh, And I'll kind of talk about how it plays out. So sometimes people may just preach about the holiness of God. It may go something like this. It's all always about his glory. All that he does is all about his glory alone. Okay, well that's not true. It's also about his love. It's also about his desire to relate to us. Now if you only preach about his desire to relate to us, then you, you present one perspective of God that's not true also. And so if I only say that God has come to draw me near, then I end up to the wrong conclusion. That you get a bumper sticker like this, God's my co-pilot. He's the man upstairs. He's not your equal. He's not my equal. Um, let me talk just for a second about, sometimes when we think about the concept of holiness, we confine it to moral purity. But that's not necessarily, that's not even what the word holy technically means in scripture. I'll give you an example. To holy means, it, it means to set apart. And so if I'm gonna say, I'm gonna holy this piece of paper, okay, that I holied it. It is other than, it's not a part of the whole. It is separate. So you may see concepts throughout the scripture about we've been set apart. So the concept of holiness, although God is pure and righteous, it's not about his moral purity. It is his separateness. He's not one of us. He's not our equal. He's not... um, um, can't think of the right word. He's not, he's not on the same level of us. And so the irony is, is remembering that I do relate to a God who is wholly other than, yet he's chosen in a profound act of humility to draw close to me and to make my heart a priority to him. And so I can't explain it any other way because if you stand on one side that God is wholly other, it makes him unapproachable. But he's come near, right? But if you stand only on one side, you lose this, the sense of reverence that we should have because at the end of the day, he's still our father. It would to some degree in a small way relate to parenting. In other words, when you try to parent your kids, you want them to love you. You want them to come to you. But at the end of the day, still you want them to remember, now I'm still your father. Okay, so there's some balance. So Jesus says, when you pray, remember first and foremost, it's about relationship. And it's about a relationship of a God who says, I want to father your heart. So draw near and draw close. An intimate relationship. Always remembering that you are close to the heart of a God who is wholly other than. He is separate, yet he's chosen to come near. I hope that kind of makes sense because that's what Jesus is talking about. And so the prayer application sentence in here is, prayer is an invitation to draw near to God in intimate friendship and reverent respect. Intimate friendship and reverent respect. That God is both father and he is hallowed. 
And so the first thing Jesus talks about is relationship. Then he moves on, let's look at verse two again. And he begins to talk about this idea of surrender. In Luke chapter 11, the second part of verse two, he says, your kingdom come. That's all he simply says. In Matthew chapter six, he expounds a little bit more, and we probably have heard this one more often. When he says in verse nine, pray then this way, our Father was in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus again begins to talk about the reality of prayer being some acknowledgement or posture of surrender to the kingdom, the will, the rule of God in my life and in this world. And so when he says thy kingdom come, the idea of the kingdom of God in reality is God's just rule in a context. And so wherever God's just rule uh, is acknowledged, the kingdom of God is present. And so without getting into, you know, another study would be this idea of God's kingdom come as it is, earth as it is in heaven. That's another study you can do on your own. Jesus is simply talking about that prayer includes some acknowledgement that God is just and sovereign ruler of the universe. And I surrender to that leadership in my life. I surrender to the fact that God, you're in control of this. And so really it's an acknowledgement of two aspects. First and foremost, that he is that. He's the king of my life and of this world. But secondly, it's, it's an acknowledgement of my desire to align my life with his will and purposes. So prayer is that, I mean, part of prayer is that act of me coming to God and saying, God, I just wanna begin today by saying, I want my life to be in alignment with your purposes. I want what you want for me. So there's some act of surrendering, of declaring my desire for his will to be supreme in my life this day. And so the prayer application in your notes is that prayer is this daily act of surrendering my life to God's will and purposes for me. That's an aspect of what prayer is. It's relationship, but it's also an act of surrender. However that plays out to where I remind myself, it's God who is in control. It's not my great ingenuity or ideas that are gonna be effective in my life. It's figuring out the will and purpose of God and aligning my life with what God has for me and what he's doing in this world. So it's this, it's this surrender now just kind of a time out, this is a kind of a foreshadowing of one of the dilemmas that we'll probably think of and challenge with concerning the will of God. So I just want you, I don't want you to answer these out loud, but I want you to kind of in your head go, what might be your first answer to some of these questions? Because these are prayer dilemmas. Um, when we look at this later on, think about these questions. Is God's will always accomplished on earth? Just think about that. Okay, so if, however you answer that question, the next question might be, why? And if you follow up to say, well, if you say maybe no, then can a human being thwart, hinder, stop, or change God's will from happening? Because, again, that's going to challenge what you believe about God. If God is sovereign, his will will be accomplished 
is his will always accomplished on this earth? I mean, this whole thing that Jesus is talking about, he's praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's kind of giving the impression that we're praying for God's will to be accomplished in our lives, in this, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. But when you begin to think about what you believe about God, in other words, if I can change or affect or thwart the will of God, does that challenge his sovereignty? Or, a final question, is everything that happens the will of God? Because that's some people's perspective. Anything that happens, we can go, well, we, just, we can just have comfort to know this was the, must be the will of God. It must be the will of God if it happened. Um, and so those are some dilemmas we're going to challenge. Because I think sometimes we fall into those traps without thinking, what does that say about God? What does that say about your prayer life? Um, and I don't know all the answers, though. I'm just getting you to think about some of the things we're gonna, that are dilemmas that I want you to really go, what do I think about that? Because if you accept everything as the will of God, you got a lot of explaining to do sometimes. Because I can tell you one thing, it's not the will of God, and that's sin. Right? It's not his desire that we have fallen into sin. Is there a difference in the you know, whatever terms we use, the ultimate will of God, the sovereign will of God, and then the everyday living out of the purposes of God. Is there some realm of this is, you know, God wants to take me from A to B, but it's, I may take 14 different directions to get from A to B, but he's going to get me from A to B, so it doesn't change the ultimate will of God. We have those kind of conversations. Well, that matters in your prayer life. Because if you're praying and seeking the will of God and asking for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what, is, what does that mean about how God interacts in our prayer life? So that just think about that dilemma and be jacked up until we talk about it. All right, let's move to the third thing. He begins to talk not only about relationship and dependence, but, but prayer is a relationship and surrender. But the third thing is prayer is something about dependence. Look in verse three of chapter 11. Jesus says, Give us each day our daily bread. And in Matthew chapter six, I think he says pretty much the same thing in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus begins to talk. Again, when you pray, he's, he gets to this phrase, ask God to give you this day your daily bread. So he talks about dependence, this practice or acknowledgement that my most basic needs come from God. So prayer begins to be, this response of me to God that I need you to provide what I need. Not only that, I think it's Jesus saying, challenges, ask God for what you need. Ask him, look to him as your provision. It's not just that recognition, but it's a challenge to ask. And again, that's one thing we'll begin to look at in scripture that the irony is God knows in this very passage that we're gonna look at, you'll see that Jesus is giving some examples and he'll say he already knows what you need before you ask. Well, why do we need to ask? Because of relationship. We'll get back into that. But you see this reality of even though God knows, he wants you to ask, to petition, to ask for what you need. And so Jesus talks about this recognition that prayer means I, I, I'm depending on God. I, I'm asking him what I need. Philippians 4, 19 and 20, you, or 19, you've heard this before. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, in glory in Christ Jesus. And so the challenge in this, of course, is to define the word needs, Right? 
what I need versus what I want. And when you look at the word need in scripture, it really is the word necessity. In fact, supply my needs is really one phrase. And it's interesting if you study that phrase, it really is a reference to um, a fully available resource for borrowing, kind of a loan, like you've got an open line of credit for everything you need. Everything that's necessary is fully available in the resource of God through Jesus Christ. But the reality is, it's what I need. And that's probably the challenge, at least in my life. I don't know that I always know how to separate what I need and what I want, right? So I come to God, and it may be a want or a need, but this posture of saying, God, I'm dependent on you for everything I need, knowing that sometimes I confuse what I need with what I want, but I'm trusting you because your promise is you will supply everything I need. Everything I need, you will provide. And so it's this declaration of dependence on God to say, God, today you're enough. You're enough. And so, but there's also this reality that I think is important. It's interesting that Jesus in both contexts says, today, this day, for today. And I don't know if I want to make a huge deal out of it, but I think sometimes the reality is there's something about the present asking of what I need for today. God, you know what I need today, so I'm asking for provision today. That this daily coming back, you know, and you've heard of people kind of reference, you know, manna and it was good for the day and God's, and so I don't know how that works out in scripture, but I know that the reality is it kind of keeps us coming daily back to Jesus in a posture of dependence. God, just, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but for today, I need you and I'm asking you to provide for my needs just today. And tomorrow we'll come back to you and say, God, provide for my needs today. So there's some kind of reality of this present daily moment to moment acknowledgement of God, I need you today, that I'm staying needy and dependent on you. And so Jesus talks about prayer including dependence. So the the application or the, the sentence in your notes is, prayer is a daily expression of my dependence upon God to provide exactly what I need. So Jesus kind of references, this is what prayer is, it's, it's dependence, it's asking the Father to provide what you need. The fourth thing he talks about or the concept he begins to discuss concerning their question teaches to pray, he starts talking about forgiveness. So in verse four he says, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now Matthew says it a little different. In uh, verse 12 of Matthew chapter six, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he begins to kind of, he makes this interconnected statement about forgiveness or right relationship, but he somehow connects the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of one another. Um, And I don't know exactly how all this interacts It's very intriguing, but it's an alarming reality that Jesus seems to portray the willingness or availability of of God to forgive with a willingness and availability of me to forgive another person. Um, Do I believe that is a reality with regards to salvation? No. 
But there's some reality of relationship and conversation with God that is affected when I refuse to offer forgiveness to another person. And this is kind of an assignment for your own study. If you look at Matthew chapter 18 this week, read the whole chapter. It's an incredible chapter about relationships where Jesus talks in the first section about sin, accountability, relational distance, relational boundaries. If a person sins against you, you go to them and say, you hurt me, stop it. If they don't, you take a brother, you stop it. Each time walking further away in distancing yourself to the, to the very end of that where Jesus says, if they refuse to change, you bring them before the church, then you treat them as an outsider. It's pretty harsh. Then Jesus, uh, Peter follows up and goes, what about forgiveness? <laughs> I like, that's where Jesus, Peter goes, well, what about forgiveness? Like seven times seven? He's like, no, 70 times seven. And in essence, Jesus then begins to talk about forgiveness and in his essence, he's saying forgiveness doesn't mean relationship. So be careful. For, you can forgive a person and not restore the relationship if the person has not changed. You don't place your heart in the context of a person who's not changed to continue to sin against you and hurt you so you, you can love them from a distance. But toward the end, he talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. And that's where he begins to go. This guy has a debt and he, he owes it. And he's never gonna be able to pay it back. But this person steps in that he owes the debt to and he forgives him and he, he doesn't hold the debt against him. But then this guy, ironically, after being forgiven this huge debt, goes out and starts to strangle this guy who owes him money. Well, then the first guy finds out and he comes back and he tells that, bring that guy to me. And he basically... He, he basically punishes this guy, sends him to you know, eternal punishment. And then in verse 34, Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from his debt. It's pretty profound. In other words, I mean, I don't know how you reconcile that. So get in that verse and chapter and kind of read through that because here's the reality, the application Forgiveness is essential and somehow prayer reminds me of the importance of living in and living out forgiveness in my life. So daily, somehow prayer reminds me that I've been forgiven much. But today, God, I want to live a forgiving life to display that to other people. So prayer brings me back to this reality of forgiveness. The last thing is Jesus talks about this reality of guidance. And so back in verse four, he says, actually verse five, or last part of verse four is, is, is what he talks about. And lead us not into temptation, Luke chapter 11. In Matthew six, in verse 13, he expands a little bit more, Matthew does. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so he begins to talk about this reality of guidance. When you first look at this passage, it kind of seems confusing. Like well, he's praying that God wouldn't lead them into temptation. And so the better translation of what this means is cause us not to succumb to temptation. Because the scripture says God is not the author of sin. He doesn't lead us. He doesn't tempt us. He's not talking about in this passage, God, please don't lead us into temptation. I mean, like, aren't your intentions for us good and holiness? And he's talking about, God, cause us, lead us, 
to not give in to temptation. It's this recognition of our, this kind of fundamental tendency we have to choose or to look for life outside of God, to choose sin. Uh, It's also this recognition, I think, of the greater reality of the battle that we are living in for our hearts. You've heard us talk about this over and over and over. Oh, over. You heard Joe, you know, you've heard Joe pound this into your head. If you don't realize you are living in a battle that the thief comes, John 10, 10 says, to, to steal, kill, and destroy, you will get taken out. There is a daily battle for your heart that you would choose the life of God or life dependent on self. And so in the middle of this battle, if you would say, if I were dropped into the middle of a war scene, the first thing I need, A, is guidance. I need connection, guidance, communication, you know, with the base. I need to know what to do. Where do I go? Where do I not go? And I also need brotherhood, right? I better find a band of brothers to fight with. But Jesus is saying, we daily come to God in prayer because we desperately need his guidance in our lives. To walk and navigate through this battle, this minefield of the enemy. Uh, And so we need God to lead us. And so we come to him to say, God, today, lead me as I navigate this battlefield of temptation. I need you to guide me. I need to know what's around the corner. I need your leadership when I don't see what's ahead. So God, please lead me. And so prayer becomes a daily request and surrender to the leadership and guidance of God in my life. It's a a daily request and surrender to the leadership and guidance of God in my life. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And he begins to talk about prayer and he just really begins to say, well, prayer is about relationship. It's about a relationship in which there's surrender. There's dependence. And it's bigger than your relationship with the Father. It's about living in forgiveness with the Father but with other people. And then prayer is about this need for guidance in our lives. A daily dependence to God's leadership. And see, what Jesus is modeling on this earth is what the available relationship with the Father is to you and I. Okay, you realize he's modeling the Christian life. This is what you can't have. You can't talk to the Father like this. You can be close to the Father. I and the Father are one, right? He says that and then he says, but this is what you can't have. I'm showing you how to depend on the Father. And then they begin to ask him to teach how to pray and he's showing them how to relate to the Father. Um, And so this just kind of lays the foundation. Next week we'll pick up the stories both before in Matthew, these verses, and after in Luke that are kind of like additional thoughts that Jesus gives about prayer. He gives examples. When you pray, pray this way. Don't pray this way. And so we'll pick up there uh, next week and kind of talk more about prayer before we dive in some of the challenges and dilemmas. Okay? Let me pray with you, and then you guys have a great day. God, I pray today that your word would stay close to our hearts, that we would continue to protect and think on and meditate and listen as your spirit brings back to mind the truth of your word this morning. And... um. 
I just pray, God, that we would continue to understand more deeply what it means to walk with you, to have this conversation, um, to, to engage in prayer. Um, God, we, we desperately need you to guide us. We thank you for your love, for your life, and we surrender to your purposes today. We want what you want for our lives. And so today, God, as we uh, interact with people, help us to live out the forgiveness that we've been given to display the love and grace and mercy of God to those around us, that it would be a display of your life, but also that we would simply be loving people in right relationship um, and live out that forgiveness. So God, today, we, we ask for your leadership in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys next week.